Well, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. You can find it on page uh, 1,496. 1,496. Matthew 1, verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Thus ends our reading of God's infallible word. May all who hear it be filled with a saving trust in their king. Well, I've been putting this off for some time. I knew coming into a church that didn't have much experience with expository preaching that I would, I would have to start you off with some of the smaller books of the Bible as to not bog you down into one long book right away. But it's now been over a year and a half since I came here, and I feel it's time to try our hand at one of those larger books. And what better way to begin than with a gospel? First, what is a gospel? Simply stated, gospel means good news. Being, being a little more explicit, it means the good news of Jesus Christ. Gospels are a literary genre all their own. They are, they are compilations of the, of the records of Jesus' origin, his actions, his teachings, his death, and his resurrection. They describe who Jesus is, what he said, what he did, and why he came. And they do this in a number of ways. Gospels make use of several different writing styles, such as historical narratives, parables, apocalyptic, wisdom sayings, discourses, and as you'll see today, genealogies. And for whatever reason, God has chosen to give us four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now you may be asking yourself, well, why not compile these books into, into one massive volume? Why do we need four? You see, each book is an eyewitness account of Jesus' life. And each, each one gives a, a different perspective of what took place. Think of it this way. Suppose you were a, a news reporter and you were covering a major event. But, but you weren't there to see it yourself. Would your audience understand the situation clearer if you interviewed one eyewitness or four? Or, or say you were a lawyer and you were trying to convince a jury that, that your client was innocent, that he, that he wasn't near the scene of the crime when it took place. Would you rather have one eyewitness confirming his alibi or would you rather have four? In these four Gospels, we get a, a multifaceted view of the most significant event in history. And having four eyewitnesses gives us a better view of that good news 
In Mark, we get something akin to, to a mystery novel where, where the people of the story are trying to figure out who Jesus is. Of course, Mark lets the reader know from verse 1 exactly who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, the Son of God. But what that exactly means is a secret that becomes clearer and clearer the further you get into the story. And in Luke, we, we see more of a historic history about Jesus as the author set out to investigate everything from the beginning. And in John, we gain a, a theological treatise in story format, helping us to identify Jesus as the Word of God, the great I Am. Which leads us to Matthew. A gospel that, that interweaves numerous themes into a beautiful mosaic. You will see such things as, as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy concerning the restoration of God's kingdom or the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew often puts it. And you will, you will witness the inauguration of that kingdom as Jesus begins his ministry and heads towards the cross. You'll observe the, the expansion of that kingdom into the Gentile world. And you will also be an eyewitness to the rejection of that kingdom by the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Even so, you'll get a glimpse of, of the eschatological or future hope of that kingdom's consummation at the end of the age. And of course, none of these kingdom themes would be complete without... A king. Jesus as king is a central thread that holds it all together. And Matthew is keen to, to demonstrate this from the very start. Look again at verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This past Christmas, my, my mom bought me one of those DNA kits from Ancestry.com. I guess you're supposed to swab your, your mouth and send it in, and then they'll let you know your, your own personal origin story. That package is still sitting on my shelf, unopened, unused. By the way, if you're listening to this, Mom, sorry. <laughs> But, but it's, tr it's true that, that many want to know where they come from, and yet there are many like myself that, that really don't bother. In, in our society today, we, we don't get our value so much from, from what our bloodline is. Rather, we tend to think that each person can carve out their own destiny despite their family's past. However, if one were trying to stake a claim to an inheritance... One of those DNA tests would come in very handy. And if someone could prove that they had royal blood, then their family pedigree would be of utmost importance. This is what Matthew is doing when he begins his gospel. But by demonstrating to, to his audience that Jesus fulfills the messianic qualifications laid out in Scripture. How does he do this? 
He starts off with a genealogy. Now, Matthew 1.1 uses the same exact wording that the Septuagint, the, the, the Greek translation of the, of the Old Testament of Matthew's day, used in Genesis 5, verse 1, which the, the ESV translates as follows. This is the book of the generations of Adam, when God created man and he made him in the likeness of God. With the, with the ESV translates as generations, the, the Septuagint, that, that, that Greek translation of the Old Testament, it, it, tra- it translates the Greek in, in, into the Greek word of geneseos. It, it, is, it is the word and the title where we get the word Genesis from. We, we call the book Genesis because of the Septuagint and that verse right there. And now, and now we see in, in Matthew's gospel that he's using this same word and the same style in verse 1 to speak of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So right out of the gate, Matthew is drawing a straight line from Jesus to the creation account. Please understand this. Matthew is is trying to show that the the scriptures of old, what we now call the Old Testament, are tightly linked to Jesus. Today, there's a popular preacher who who wants us to, to unhitch the Old Testament from our faith. This man thinks that, that the Old Testament verses are, are derailing modern Christianity. This pastor is, is following the same path of the, the ancient heretic Marcion, who, who also wished to sever links between, the old, between Christianity and the Old Testament. One of the, one of the first things Marcion did was he, he cut out the genealogy of Christ from the Gospel of Luke. Listen, if you want to get rid of the Old Testament, you you might as well throw out the new. For for in the new, you will discover that that it is littered with with quotes and references from the old. And Matthew is no exception. He, He fills his gospel with Old Testament prophecy. And he begins with a genealogy full of Old Testament names. And in this first verse, we already see two of those names. In fact, we are actually given three titles for Christ. Christ being the first. Christ is is the Greek way of saying Messiah or anointed one. What is it to anoint someone? It was to to pour a, a fragrant oil over someone's head. Now this may seem messy and unpleasant to our modern standards of cleanliness, but but listen to King David's words in Psalm 133. Psalm 133 verses 1 and 2. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. 
Anointing was a, was a pleasurable thing. It was a time when great honor was bestowed upon a person. And it was an indication that God had placed a specific calling upon a man. Now, in the Old Testament, there were three offices in which one would be anointed. Prophet, priest, and king. And while Jesus fulfills all of these roles, the the one that Matthew is most likely referring to is king. And, And you can tell this from the next title given to Jesus, the son of David. Here is another messianic reference that would have been ingrained in the minds of Matthew's audience. Any with with a basic knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures would have immediately recognized the son of David as being the one who would restore Israel to his former glory. This can be seen in in the covenant that God made to David in 2 Samuel and is referred to throughout the prophets. Look at Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It was passages like this that left people hoping for for that return to glory. So when Matthew describes Jesus as the son of David, there would have been little doubt in people's minds as to what he meant. This Jesus was going to restore the kingdom to Israel, and the people of God would once again live under the rule of their rightful king. Of course, it was not just the Davidic covenant that Matthew mentions, for he also speaks of Jesus as a son of Abraham. And in Abraham, we see another covenant. And we saw this in our first scripture reading for today. Look, look again with me at Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. A little later on in Genesis, we learn how such a blessing would be brought to all the peoples of the earth. Genesis 22, verses 15 through 18. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time, and he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, 
And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. It is through this offspring, this son of Abraham, that all nations on earth would be blessed. And now in Matthew, we understand that he sees this Messiah Jesus not only as a fulfillment of the future hope of Israel, but as as a king that would extend his reign over all nations, blessing them by bringing salvation. The kingdom of heaven has come to Bethlehem in the form of a king. And his rule extends out to the four corners of the earth. Do you see it? In just one verse, Matthew has has already submerged us into deep theological waters. Through the word Geneseos, he has connected his readers to, to Genesis, that first book in the Bible. By calling Jesus the Christ, one can picture messianic references throughout the Old Testament pointing to a coming king. As the son of David, it is clear that that Jesus would be the one to, to establish that everlasting kingdom. And yet, as the son of Abraham... It is suggested that that this Jesus, Messiah, would be a blessing to all nations, not just Israel, expanding the kingdom of heaven throughout the whole of the earth. The blessing is not just for the Jews. It extends everywhere. And this blessing extends to you. Dear friends, Jesus did not come to rule over a chunk of land in the Middle East as many hoped he would. No. He came so that the kingdom of heaven would bring salvation to all who believe. All who would come to him in repentant faith. My hope as we go through the Gospel of Matthew is that, is that what we will learn as we, as we study this, this book, that this, this good news of Jesus Christ, is that, is that the life of Jesus and his ministry, it was pointing all in one direction, towards the cross. You see, Jesus, he he takes our our preconceived notions of what we think authority is and flips it on its head. His rule is like that of a servant. And And he demonstrates his power by humbling himself. It is at the cross that 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 we will see this Christ, this son of David, this son of Abraham, take upon the sins of his people. Saving them from the wrath and judgment of God. And then we will discover that he rose from the dead three days later. Demonstrating his victory over death. Subduing all of his enemies. For he is the king. And he rules over all of his creation. Brothers. Sisters. 
Matthew has, has written these things in order that you may believe. That, that you might have faith that Jesus is the son of Abraham. That you would confess that he is the son of David. That you might testify that Jesus is the Christ. Turn from your sins and believe in the King. Let us pray. Father, we are in awe of your power. There is nothing that happens without your say. And in your wisdom, you, you have blessed us with your grace. Fill us now with your, your Holy Spirit. Let our eyes be ever upon your Son and our King. May Jesus be the, the focus of our worship. We pray this in his name. Amen.